How do you want the people who are closest to you to describe your life? What do you want to be true of you when your time on this planet is done? Here at Community Christian Anywhere, we believe that the best possible life is a life where we love everyone always, just as Jesus has loved us. And that this life will be possible when we learn from Jesus together. And throughout this video, we want to give you the opportunity to take a step into community where you can work towards this goal, no matter who you are or what you believe about God. Because we believe no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you. And He wants to hear from you and to help you experience a life that's full of joy and rest. And we want to help with that too. Hi. My name is Heidi, and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. to describe Jesus in one word, what would you choose? I would love to hear your answer so that this isn't just a one-sided conversation. Throughout our time, you'll see a number on the screen. If you text that number, it'll go straight to our speaker for the day. Or if you're on a live stream, you can just chat with the words, Jesus is, and then fill in the blank. Maybe Jesus is God, or Jesus is good, or kind, or Jesus is Lord. I would even take Jesus is make-believe if you're not sure that you believe all that we do, because you may not trust me yet, but this really is a place where you can share your questions and doubts and frustrations. The only way you'll find out is if you test me, so try it. One very popular answer to that question is Jesus is love which is a really good answer because last week we started a series that's all about love. In fact, one of the writers of the Bible, who was also one of Jesus's closest personal friends, tells us that God is love. The essential element of God, of Jesus, is love. And because we are made in His image, Jesus taught over and over again that the most important thing in life is that we learn to love like He loves. Last week, Jason taught us about this introduction to one of the most famous passages of Scripture. In fact, it's probably something that you've heard read at weddings before. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, the writer of this passage, Paul, explains the importance of love. He writes, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Paul is using language that would have been impressive to these Christians in this first century, but let's be honest, it's not very impressive to us. So let me try to update what Paul was saying in our modern context. If I had more degrees than Stephen Hawking and more followers on Instagram than Kylie Jenner and more money than Jeff Bezos, if I had all the creativity of Kendrick Lamar and all the talent of Serena Williams, 
And if I had such wisdom that everyone from Warren Buffett to Beyonce to the president of the United States were asking for my advice, if I had a Tesla and a home on the beach and all of my kids got into Ivy League schools on full ride scholarships and I won the lottery, but I never learned how to love in a selfless, life-giving way, it's all a waste. Love is all that matters. As Jason summed up this whole section for us in the first episode of this series, everything, meaning you get everything you've ever wanted and dreamed of, minus love equals nothing. But love plus nothing, you being penniless and insignificant to those in power in our world, that equals everything. Love is the purpose and the meaning of life. So throughout this series, we are going to learn how to do it right by looking at these incredibly famous words of scripture that Paul wrote. It begins like this, love is patient and kind. One day, a very respected Christian professor and philosopher named Dallas Willard was asked by a good friend of his to describe Jesus in one word. He thought about it for a moment and then answered, relaxed. Out of all the words he could have chosen, including love, the word he used was relaxed. If I'm honest, this is not the kind of word I would have chosen. Feels a little simplistic and undignified for the Son of God. I mean, we use words like glorious and majesty and holy to describe Jesus. We sing about our resurrected King, not our relaxed King. It's not even something that's very admirable or attractive in our world. Can you imagine someone in a job interview naming this as their chief strength? Hi, yes. Thank you once again for this amazing opportunity. Uh, I, I guess I'd have to say my greatest strength is really just how relaxed I am. You know, like total chill over here, you know. I'm not really about anyone else's schedule or timetable or deadlines, you know. I'm really just kind of vibing with whatever my dad's into, so I got that going for me. Our world values the achievers, the succeeders, the go-getters. CG, people like us, we don't get got. We go get. That's right. Not those who wait, those who rest. We think the path to the good life is something that we achieve after putting in our hours of overtime at the office, stuffing our children's schedules full with school and extracurriculars so they can have every advantage. It's ignoring healthy sleep habits to stay up and binge all the new shows everyone's talking about so we're never out of the loop. Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, was once asked what their biggest competitor was. And it wasn't YouTube, or Amazon Prime, or HBO Max and Disney Plus. It was sleep. That's their goal. Can we get people to sleep less so they can binge more content? And then there's Jesus. One of the most famous stories out of the life of Jesus involves the disciples traveling across a sea in the middle of a raging storm. And where is Jesus? Asleep in the back of the boat. He's napping in the middle of a tempest. One time Jesus learns that his best friend is on his deathbed and Jesus could heal him like he did so many others. But we're told that Jesus stayed where he was for three more days. And when he finally gets to his friend Lazarus' home, he's dead. And Lazarus' sisters say, if you could have just come earlier, you could have saved him. But Jesus was working under a different schedule. 
When Jesus begins his ministry, he gets this big popularity boost when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in front of this huge crowd. And then he claims that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah that they should all follow. Does Jesus capitalize on all this momentum? No, he goes into the desert alone for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. What's the growth strategy there? Think about this. From the time Jesus is 12, he says that he knows his responsibilities to be about his father's business. What he's referring to is this unprecedented vocational calling on his shoulders that he had to carry. But he turns 18, then 20, then 25, then 29. He's still just hammering nails in his dad's shop and doing handyman jobs as a carpenter. He's in no rush to accomplish or achieve he trusts in God's timing and God's plans. It will happen when the time is ready. Now, this is a phrase you see over and over again in the stories of Jesus' life. His time had not yet come. He tells people not to talk about the miracles he did because his time had not yet come. The people try to make him king, but he runs from them to be alone because his time had not yet come. His brothers want him to make a big splash at a religious festival, but he chooses to go in secret. Why? because his time had not yet come. No one could figure out Jesus' timetable or strategy. It seemed almost like there was no plan. But Jesus described his work in this world in this way. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour and it worked all the way through the dough. You know what I've never noticed about this parable before? 60 pounds! 60 pounds of flour? That's a lot of bread. But what Jesus is illustrating here is how the kingdom of God grows. It's a slow, patient process. It takes just a little bit of yeast to make a big difference, but it's gonna spread slowly through long, tedious work, and then there's a lot of waiting and a lot of trusting it will rise and grow. This isn't the kind of fast, active, explosive growth investors are looking for in a young startup kingdom. But Jesus trusted in his Father and his Father's timing. And so he was able to be patient because love is patient. And Jesus is love. It might be tempting to assume that Jesus' kind of patience was just a product of a different age, a slower paced time removed from our modern hustle and bustle of smartphones and traffic jams and 24-hour news cycles. But it's important for you to know that patience was also a foreign concept to the ancient world that Jesus lived in, and it was an undesirable one. One historical scholar named Alan Kreider wrote about ancient Roman culture and noted that when ancient Roman writers used the term patience, they didn't have their heroes in mind. He writes, patience was the response of people who didn't have the freedom to define their own goals or make their own choices. Notably, patience was a response for slaves for whom it was an inevitability, not a virtue. No one found patience attractive. People avoided patience. Patience was the kind of thing that people with no other options had to put up with, not anything that anyone would choose willingly. He notes that patience became the defining mark of the early church. It was what made Christians stand out. They had this same kind of relaxed and patient approach to life and even to their own persecutions and sufferings that Jesus had in his life. 
and it was incomprehensible to the ancient world. One ancient church leader named Tertullian noted that this patient attitude of the church was rooted in the life of Jesus. You see, the ancient heroes of Greece and Rome were people like Hercules, who had to perform 12 labors or acts of heroism to become the hero of the myth, as you might sort of, maybe, remember from that Disney movie, Hercules. Well, Tertullian notes, the narrative of Jesus, whose labors, unlike Hercules, did not include killing, capturing, stealing, but instead kept a low profile, who would not hear of forcing people, who declined to call for the help of angel armies, who rejected the sword, who healed the servant of his enemy, and thereby cursed for all time the works of the sword. As Jesus went to the cross, he was scorned and spat upon. And Tertullian says, patience such as this, no man had ever practiced. And because of the life of Jesus, the early Christians followed his example of patience in every aspect of life, including facing death and martyrdom in the vicious and terrifying Roman Colosseum. They did not fight back when facing death. They patiently trusted that God would use even their suffering to bring about His will and His perfect purpose in His timing. And it was into this context that Paul wrote the words, love is patient and kind. I think impatience feels like an absurdly trivial little thing to make ridding it from your life a priority. I mean, come on, everyone is a little impatient. Everyone loses their temper every so often. Everyone struggles to wait for what they want. But if a good and pleasing life is only found in how well we love like Jesus, then patience has to be essential to that. Another word that people who translate the Bible use for patience is long-suffering. Patience means to stay strong and faithful through suffering or what feels like suffering. Patience is what gets you through your marriage when every day feels like suffering and a fight to stay faithful to what you promised each other and to God. Patience is what allows you to be loyal to commitments when you feel like you're in over your head. Patience allows you to be the parent you want to be or the employee you want to be or the friend you want to be even when you're dealing with someone who feels unreasonable and unwilling to change. But in a world that finds true patience to be undesirable and even counterproductive in a fast-paced world, we need to develop patience by intentionally practicing a slower-paced life where God can grow patience in us. But if God is going to grow patience in us, how quickly do you think that's gonna take? It's not a trick question. It's like a bit of yeast in 60 pounds of flour. There is a mollusk called the silver-lipped pearl oyster. One of them produced a pearl worth $1.5 million. To make a pearl, an oyster needs two things, and only two things, an irritant and time. The oyster has to find a way to cope with the irritant and yet remain flourishing, so it's kind of like a little parable. The oyster gives a tiny little bit of itself to the irritant. It then secretes a substance called nacre, what it makes its shell with. It makes one layer, and then another, and then scores, and then hundreds, and eventually thousands of incredibly thin layers of nacre that are lustrous and iridescent. To produce a great pearl can take 20 years. An oyster might live as long as 40 years and might produce two in its whole life. 
To produce patience, you need two things, an irritant and time. And God will give you time, and God will give you an irritant. You may be sitting next to your irritant right now. In fact, if you don't have an irritant, call our church because we keep a list and we'll assign one to you. You can grow patience, but it's gonna take time and intentionality. You need to choose it. So how can you practice slowness to give God the time in your schedule and your mind to grow this pearl of patience? Well, maybe it's as simple as driving in the slow lane. Nothing will ramp up your impatience like Atlanta traffic, so what if instead of being infuriated at those idiots weaving in and out of traffic, or instead of being one of those idiots weaving in and out of traffic, what if you just chose to choose slowness? Use these moments of quiet to simply be with God. Turn off the radio and pray, or sit in silence, or have a conversation with your kids, or whoever you're riding with, and be thankful for the people in your life. Or turn on the radio and sing songs that bring you joy or help you praise God. But in the slowness, embrace what God is doing in you. What if every stoplight was an opportunity for you to pray for the people sitting in the cars around you? What if every person who cut you off was a chance for you to pray like Jesus, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What if the irritants in your life were a chance for you to let God grow the pearl of patience in you? Here's another way to slow down. What if when you went about your day and you saw someone, instead of just saying, hey, how you doing, as you walk past in a rush, not really caring about their answer, what if you paused, slowed down, looked the person in the eye and actually listened? Make this kind of like a game. Jesus, help me look at people in my life today and not just look past them, but deep in their eyes. Are they sad? Are they scared? Look at their shoulders. Are they kind of slumped in discouragement? Are they celebrating something good? Is there anyone I can show kindness to? It requires you to put your schedule on the back burner. It means you might possibly be two or three minutes late to something, or that you might need to leave somewhere two to three minutes early. But you'll slow down enough to listen to someone else. And that is one of the gifts that slowness gives us, the gift of noticing. We have the time to slow down enough to notice, what is God doing around me? What is God up to in the life of this other person? Where could I join him in the work he's already doing? When I'm in a rush in a fast-paced lifestyle, I don't have the time to listen to God or to other people. But slowness and patience, they give me the time to actually listen and notice the needs of others. And that leads me to the second attribute of what love is, kindness. Patience is the passive part of love. But kindness is active. I heard one person describe kindness as lending a little of your strength to someone who doesn't have it in that moment. Patience gives birth to kindness. When I'm not rushed by my own schedule or driven by my frustration that things aren't moving like I think they should, when I'm willing to slow down and put up with minor irritations, I can begin to notice the needs of others and what God is doing in the world around me. And then I have enough space in my schedule to be interrupted, and I'm more willing to help others. I have enough emotional margin that I'm not exhausted at the end of every day, and I can have an actual conversation with my kid about their behavior instead of blowing up that they've let me down yet again. I have the space in my mind that no longer is focused on what the next item in my day to rush to is, and I can notice my neighbor who's in need. And from that place of emotional and spiritual strength, I can help others. I can be kind. I can lend some of my emotional margin, some of my time, some of my strength to someone else. 
but this isn't gonna happen overnight. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take rearranging my schedule and my outlook on life. But over time, as I intentionally choose slowness and noticing, I can see how every moment is an opportunity to interact with God and what He's doing in the lives of others. And eventually, He grows a pearl of patience within me. These gifts of slowness and noticing that are so critical to developing patience are also so critical to seeing the world as Jesus did. Throughout His ministry, Jesus invited men and women to life in what He called the Kingdom of God. It was a life where every moment was an opportunity to partner with God in reshaping the world as He wanted it to be. But it's a way of life that requires slowness and noticing. Jesus invites us into a kingdom where we see every moment even those moments that we're tempted to rush through because they're full of suffering or seem insignificant, we see them as a gift from a good God because every moment is a chance to be with God who loves us. It's the kind of perspective that led Jesus to patiently suffer through the humiliation and pain of the cross because even that moment was an opportunity to partner with God in reshaping the world. Jesus did not see a separation between the secular and the sacred, the ordinary and the divine. He saw every breath He took as a gift not to be wasted. Even moments of intense suffering and grief could bring Him closer into relationship with His Father and with the people that were around Him. So He could have a patience and a relaxed outlook that didn't make sense in regards to the situation that he found himself in. And he offers us a chance to see life in this same way, a way to be patient and kind, even in the most difficult moments and with the most difficult people. Because we can see every moment as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father, who has called us to love others as he loved us, patiently, gently, selflessly. And we can patiently love and serve our neighbor in every moment. But this requires us to see life as more than a collection of moments. Some good, some bad, some sacred, some secular. We have to see the world as Christ did, completely drenched in the goodness of God. A God-bathed world full of His dearly loved children. And every breath is a gift. Teach me that it all belongs That everything is sacred I eat the bread and drink the wine But help me love my neighbor Show me how to hold this life Cause I don't want to waste it No, I don't want to waste it Oh, heaven is upside down Oh, it could be here and now Oh, seeing it all around That everything is safe
the ordinary shines and glows filled with your intentions you don't see the lines we draw between secular and sacred show me how to hold this life cause I don't want to waste it no I don't want to waste it oh heaven is upside down Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Life is a gift and the giver is good Heaven is upside down Oh, it could be here and now Oh, seeing it all around That everything is sacred That everything is sacred That everything Love is patient and kind, and so we should be as well. What if every time someone interacted with you, the first thing they noticed was they were just so relaxed. There was this peaceful feeling. They weren't all rushed. They had time to look you right in the eye and talk to you. It just felt human. What if every person left a conversation with you and felt seen and heard? What if you made it your goal to not let a person leave you without receiving an act of kindness? I know that's what I want. As a dad and a husband, as a neighbor and friend, I want people to think Nathan was always so relaxed. He was always available to listen. He was always so calm. You couldn't rattle him. He never gave up on you no matter how many reasons you gave him to. He was generous and loving and kind. And when you were with him, you just felt like you were the only person in the world. He brought the best out of you and you felt like life was somehow easier to deal with. It was like he had a secret that you couldn't see. Like no matter what was going on in his life, he saw life as a beautiful gift that should never be wasted. Don't you want that too? Well, that life is possible in Jesus and we wanna help you find it. 
Here at Community Christian Anywhere, we believe that the life Jesus offers can only truly be found in a community where you can practice loving everyone always, even when other people are unlovable. We would love to help you get involved with our community. Would you reach out to me right now through text? I'd love to help you get connected to some unlovable people who can help you learn to love like Jesus. Or you could go to our website, cccanywhere.com, and click on the card that says, join our Facebook group. That will take you right to our Facebook community where if you click the join group button, you can connect with our whole community throughout the week. Please don't end this video without taking a step into community because life is short, but it is a gift and you don't wanna waste it. You don't wanna rush past it and throw each moment away. This is the pearl of great price that Jesus offers us, this life in the kingdom together with God, this life of joy and gratitude and love and pain and hope all mingled together. And I charge you today, don't miss it. Notice and care. Love is patient and your life is about love and nothing else. There is no other place you have to go. There is no other thing you have to do right now than to be with God. So let us pray. God, help us to love. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.